0: Yale Podcast Network
1: Welcome to the Quadcast, a Yale Divinity School podcast series focusing on issues related to religion and politics. In this episode, Yale Divinity School alum Emily Judd interviews United States Senator Chris Coons, a Democrat from Delaware and an alum of both Yale Divinity and Yale Law Schools. Senator Coons discusses how religion plays a positive role in his bipartisan political relations. It's awfully hard to throw a punch at someone, at least um, rhetorically, on the floor of the Senate when you held hands with them in prayer. He encourages his fellow religious Democrats to reclaim their faith publicly. There are some folks who serve with me who've really only ever associated public religiosity with conservative political views. And Senator Coons weighs in on the one change he would make to the U.S. Constitution. In the Bill of Rights, it is not spelled out that you have a right to vote. And voter suppression is a very real thing in our nation.
0: So welcome so much to the Yale Divinity School Quadcast, Senator Coons.
1: Thank you, Emily. It's great to be on with you.
0: In a 2017 article for The Atlantic, you wrote that you believe faith can be a healthy part of politics and can actually help bridge divides. Can you describe an experience when religion or religious values played a positive role in your own political work?
1: Sure. Um, You know, first I put it that way because I think uh, many Americans, most Americans, um, view uh, faith and politics as divisive things, as things that are often used to um, draw lines and to put us into boxes or tribes and then um, divide us from each other. My experiences here in the Senate, I'll briefly point to two, um, have suggested that it can be a bridge builder. There is a bipartisan weekly Senate prayer breakfast. Uh, It's facilitated by our chaplain. Um, It's about, it changes in terms of how many and exactly who comes, but it's somewhere between 12 and 24 um, senators every Wednesday morning for an hour, Republicans and Democrats, Uh, from a wide range of the different faith traditions um, within the Senate. And we sing a hymn, we pray, we listen to scripture, and then one of us stands up and shares from our own personal experience. Um, We never talk about the details of what is discussed there, um, but I'll tell you in those hours spent Wednesday morning every week here, I have heard more and learned more uh, about the motivations the hearts the families um, the family experiences of my colleagues than anywhere else and we have a saying which is it's it's awfully hard to throw a punch at someone at least um, rhetorically on the floor of the senate when you held hands with them in prayer in the morning so um, it has helped me at least build bridges with members um, who i otherwise thought i had nothing in common with one other faith experience where I've seen it have a positive impact, a uh, Congressman John Lewis, who became a dear friend and was uh, an inspiring leader here in Congress, someone who risked his own life and safety, uh, was arrested and beaten more than 40 times during the Civil Rights Movement, led an annual pilgrimage, and he used the word pilgrimage intentionally. Uh, most years we would go to Alabama, uh, to Montgomery, Birmingham, and Selma, Uh, but some years we went other places, we went together to South Carolina, we went one year to South Africa, and he would bring with him a bipartisan group of senators and House members, and we would, um, along with um, people who had played a leading role in the civil rights movement, and along with um, advocates and activists, we would spend time visiting um, some of the landmark sites of the civil rights movement in the United States, and then praying and talking and reflecting about um, what that meant. And obviously many of these places we were visiting uh, are churches, uh, were places where the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King preached or where others preached. Um, And a lot of the history of the American civil rights movement is a history of how people of faith were moved um, to take risks, um, to challenge an unjust system, um, to witness um, to their fellow Americans, and then ultimately to lead um, to broad political change.
0: And now you mentioned some of your Democratic colleagues, um, and you have said before that some Democrats have hesitated to embrace religion because the perception that there's baggage that comes along with it. Why do you think that some Democrats keep their faith private?
1: Um, For a variety of reasons. Um, Some of my Democratic colleagues um, have had personal experiences um, in the faith communities in which they were raised that were very difficult, that were very harmful or divisive or judgmental. Um, And you know, I had that same experience in graduate school. I had some classmates who, when I told them I was going to also take a course of study at the Divinity School, were very negative about it, very critical. And as I listened to them and worked through that, I realized in many cases it was because they thought they knew what religion and faith were about. They thought they knew what the Bible is about and they thought it was all about um, being judgmental of others and being self-righteous and being um, critical. Um, So first, second, you know, the Democratic Party tries uh, to be a broadly inclusive and welcoming party. um, And there is an increasing number of people in our country who are atheists, agnostics, humanists, or who question Um, whether or not religion has an appropriate public role. Last, um, starting in the 80s, there was a a lot of public religiosity by the far right. There was an alignment between um, conservative political ideas and ideology and um, some elements of the Christian family um, that aligned with those. And so there are some folks who served with me who've really only ever associated public religiosity with conservative political views. Um, So one of the things I frankly have directly encouraged them to do um, is to speak up about their own values and how their progressive values or their liberal values were shaped or informed by their religious views. Um, And it's been an interesting dialogue. In a few cases, folks have chosen to step forward and be more open about it. Um, If that's really what is moving you and Um, inspiring your political engagement. I I think it's important for your constituents and the public to know that. Um, And I've tried to model for my colleagues how it is possible to recognize, respect, and welcome um, people, colleagues, um, constituents uh, who are agnostic or atheist and recognize and welcome their contribution to our society while also speaking freely about or witnessing about your own faith experience.
0: And you mentioned briefly your graduate uh, program. So you received a master's degree in ethics from Yale Divinity School, and then a JD from Yale Law School. What are some of your favorite Yale memories? Can you share any?
1: Favorite Yale memories? Um, well, I, I did a lot of different things. Um, I'll, let me pick two briefly if I might. Um, while I was at law school and Divinity School, um, the first Gulf War uh, was launched. Uh, in fact, I remember being in my, um, uh, I, I rented an off-campus uh, house and I was on Orange Street um, watching the television as um, the the coalition forces sort of launched their bombardment of Baghdad um, and the invasion of Kuwait uh, began. Um, we had a really vigorous debate at the Divinity School about just war theory, about the relationship between faith and military service, about how we should be speaking out um, about or, or responding to um, the the military actions on which uh, our nation um, had, had engaged. And it was one of the most vigorous, open, and I frankly thought constructive conversations I remember. Um, there were a number of folks who were attending the Div School at that point who were Um, military who were either training for the chaplaincy or in one case, someone who I'd gone to college with and is now actually an ambassador in the Middle East. Um, He had spent time in the special forces. Um, There were others who were either by virtue of being Quakers or um, from some of the more peace-oriented denominations um, scandalized by the idea that um, we as a community would speak out in any way in support of war and um, I found, one of the challenges I found at the Divinity School was a strong inclination towards politeness. Um, students at law school did not suffer that challenge. Um, law school students debated a lot and vigorously and challenged each other's ideas, uh, which I think is healthy and appropriate as long as it's done respectfully. Um, one of my concerns, frankly, is that you know the academic world has moved more and more towards um, political correctness and shutting down the views of those who are seen as outside the sort of acceptable mainstream of thought in an in institution, whether that thought is predominantly conservative or liberal. Um, one of the other things that meant a great deal to me in New Haven, I did a, a student, um, I, I did a, se- a semester or a year actually of um, interning with Downtown Cooperative Ministry. Downtown Cooperative Ministry was founded by Sam Sly, who was a Yale Divinity grad, and it pulled together 20 different congregations in New Haven. Some of the old established churches on the green, um, some newer and more progressive churches. Um, It was synagogues, um, uh, mosques, and churches. And I organized a Thanksgiving dinner um, for the homeless of New Haven that was just a logistical, it was a massive undertaking. Um, I mean, many, many other people organized it and carried it out. I just simply helped support their work. Um, and it was, But to me, it was inspiring and wonderful in what was an economically difficult time for New Haven to see so many good people serving and volunteering. And then last, um, around the time of, of Easter or Passover, uh, we organized a Stations of the Cross uh, service um, around the green that was um, a a witness in support of of peace in the Middle East. And uh, we had some really remarkable readings, um, songs, um, uh, actions, Uh, so I really had fun. If I I had not already been committed to a nonprofit in my hometown of Wilmington that I was engaged in, uh, I might very well have stayed in New Haven in order to continue working with Downtown Cooperative Ministry. It was so inspiring.
0: I've read a report that you occasionally preach at different churches around Delaware. What has been your favorite sermon or most memorable that you have delivered thus far?
1: I did get to deliver remarks uh, at the, what was it? I guess it was the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther's theses. I was was invited by the Lutherans um, to... Uh, offer, and this was a, a largely impromptu remarks. Um, and I talked about how, uh, given that my wife is Catholic and I'm Protestant, uh, the Reformation is lived out every day in my home. And um, we sort of talked through uh, with the congregation, which was virtually all um, members of the clergy, um, what the Reformation means, and um, what what it means to be followers of Christ and yet and yet separated from each other by doctrine and what it would mean to be um, passionately in love with scripture as Luther was, and obsessed with finding the core, the truth, the very center of it, to be um, diving into scripture, um, not to fight over words or, or interpretations or endings, but to literally encounter the living Christ in scripture as revealed to us. Um, it was kind of fun. So. Um, I, I enjoy preaching.
0: (laughs) That sounds very fun. (laughs) If you had the power to implement one legislative change in the United States today, what would it be?
1: Um, You know, that's a good question. Um, And I, I could tell you 10 different things, but you, you want one. Um, If we had a right to vote in our constitution, it would be a structural change. Everywhere within our Constitution, it implies the right to vote. It assumes the right to vote. But in the Bill of Rights, it is not spelled out that you have a right to vote. And voter suppression is a very real thing in our nation. Ways in which um, the timing and the rules and the access and the funding, um, if you had a fundamental constitutional right to vote, it would be so much easier to demand full funding for modern uh, voting machinery, um, to urge um, actions at the state and local level to take seriously the burdens on voting that are placed by both the vicissitudes of daily life and the need to balance you know, work and family and, and voting and the ways in in some cases, sadly, repeatedly, where state and local governments have changed the rules at the last minute or blocked access to the ballot. So um, I'll close with this hopefully encouraging thought. Um, I've recently introduced a bipartisan bill um, to fund and advance the teaching of civics um, in American schools from kindergarten um, all the way through college. Uh, John Cornyn, a conservative Republican from Texas is my lead co-sponsor. And we've attracted a very broad bipartisan group to co-sponsor this bill because whether you're Elizabeth Warren or Ted Cruz, senators here with whom I work still believe that if more Americans understood the foundations of our system, if they understood the structure and the balance and the beauty of what the framers did, their perspective would win out. And I'll just take a minute and think about that. If Elizabeth Warren and Ted Cruz both believe that if more people voted, and more people understood the Constitution, good things would result. That at the very least does mean that we all still have faith in our civic religion as embodied in the civil scripture of the Constitution. So um, even in a moment when we are divided, even in a moment where our current president and our incoming president um, represent sharply different views of our role in the world, our place in history, our commitments to each other, even now we can find bridges to cross and to um, connect with each other. Um, And I think that is because underlying um, that um, civic faith of ours in our framers and our um, structure as a country is the shared experience of our being a nation that overwhelmingly believes in the possibility of our caring for each other more Um, believing in each other more and supporting each other more because of a broadly shared experience of faith in our own personal lives.
0: So, Senator, you've been serving in Congress since 2010 under two different presidents, one Democratic and one Republican. And in your own life, early on, you made the transition from the Republican Party to the Democratic one. What issues do you see as potentially bringing together Republicans and Democrats in such a polarized moment in our nation?
1: Uh, Well, that's a great question, Emily. Um, One of the things I I work very hard on here in the Senate is uh, trying to identify those areas where um, Republicans and Democrats in the Senate can hear each other, um, can see a common purpose, and can actually move uh, in that direction together. Um, I actually went and sat down with Majority Leader Mitch McConnell this past week. It was the first time in several years uh, that we've spoken at any length. Um, He and I have had, you know, very strongly different views about President Trump, about the judiciary, about the Supreme Court. Um, But the two things that we talked about uh, were national service um, and infrastructure. National service is something that's been a lot in my life. Um, The AmeriCorps program, I helped run one of the first national direct AmeriCorps programs. I met my wife because we were both commissioners for uh, national and community service in Delaware. And I have a bill that I've worked very hard on this year that has um, 16 co-sponsors, an equal number of Republicans and Democrats that would dramatically expand uh, the opportunities to do national service this is civilian national service in the United States, Uh, increase the amount uh, that AmeriCorps members would get, um, increase the education award, uh, and increase the range of things they would be engaged in. I think that's an encouraging um, direction that we could go. And some of the Republicans on this bill are folks like Lindsey Graham or John Cornyn or Roy Blunt uh, or Roger Wicker, um, who are real conservatives. Uh, The Democratic side includes senators like um, Cory Booker and uh, Kamala Harris, as well as uh, Amy Klobuchar and myself. So it's a broad and balanced bill. It draws on a shared connection to service to others, um, which really often when I talk to or listen to other senators, is rooted in what they learned from their communities of faith um, when they were young about Um, the main purpose of life being serving others. So national service is fairly high on my list. Um, Infrastructure, because it is something we all recognize our country has fallen behind. You're in Dubai at the moment, which um, has some of the most remarkable, modern, sparkling, you know, high rises and buildings and airports and highways. Um, When I returned from a trip um, where we stopped in Dubai, but also in Vietnam, um, and I landed in an American airport, I was struck at how rundown it looked compared to the beautiful state-of-the-art airports in Hanoi and in Dubai. Um, and so I think just the recognition of the need for us to invest in our own country there. The last thing that I'm hoping can bring us together uh, is combating climate change. Uh, I am the founding co-chair of the Bipartisan Climate Solutions Caucus with Mike Braun. Um, That's a group of 14 senators, seven Republicans, seven Democrats, where all of us recognize climate change is real. Uh, It's caused by people, by human activity, and we have to act to address it. Um, Even a few years ago, you would not have ever seen a group that large and that bipartisan agreeing on those core points. One of the changes in the political environment around climate has been the engagement uh, of the evangelical community. There are now Um, conservative religious organizations that are actively talking about creation care and the obligation we all have um, to be more engaged in uh, protecting and preserving our planet. So um, those are just three ideas off the top of my head, Emily, for places we might be able to work together in the year
0: ahead. Well, Senator Coons, thank you so much for this conversation about faith, politics, bipartisan you know, work. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Emily. It's been great to be on with you.